We're going to be taking our text today from the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And I am so excited about what God is going to do in this house today. I feel like the Lord wants to speak to somebody and help someone in this place. The writer said this in, in the form of a question. He said, he will work, but who will let? And I think sometimes when I, when I think about the preaching, the word, and how, how it is when we come together, I think about the preaching that I've heard in my life. You know, I've heard enough preaching in my lifetime to save the whole wide world a thousand times over. The seed is always good seed. But Jesus said the soil is the problem. It's always good seed. But we need good soil. And so today I'm asking that you would prepare your hearts as we move into Philippians chapter 4 and say, God, let the soil be good today. Because even if the preacher doesn't do a good job, the seed's always good. And I want good soil. Is there anybody here today that wants good soil? Do you want to bear fruit? Man, hallelujah. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And verse number 4 is where we'll draw our text today. If you're there, say amen. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let's read it together. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. I pray today, oh great God, that you would move in this house. That your hand would rest upon us. I pray for every guest. I pray for every child of God that has walked through the doors of this house today looking for answers. I pray for those that are watching online today, Father, that are looking for answers that your word would bring to them today what they need and they desire in their soul. I pray for good soil today that the good seed of the word of God could be planted and grow deeply there in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Let the church say amen. amen. And you may be seated today. I just wonder by the shout of an amen if there's anybody in this house today that knows God is good. Has he been good to you? Yeah. Hallelujah. Is there anybody in the house today that can testify to the fact that his word is true? He said, I'll give you beauty for ashes. Yeah. Is there anybody here today that can testify to the fact that really you should have lost out a long, long time ago? If it had to do with bad cards, so to speak, being dealt to you, if it had to do with bad things happening, you know what, everybody in here, whether we want to believe it or not, everybody in here has got an excuse because everybody's been through something. Everybody in here has had somebody turn their back on you. Everybody in here has had somebody do them wrong. There are some people in here that when they hear you talk about your precious family, they don't know anything about a good family. They didn't come from good stock. They didn't come from a good family. They didn't have a father to love them, a mother to love them. They didn't grow up in a beautiful environment where everything was rosy all the time. There's people in here today that have a good excuse that they could have thrown in the towel a long time ago, but something got a hold of them just 
along the way when they discovered it's not about how good life has been to me. It's really not about how uh, good everybody has treated me. But they came to an understanding that even when life does not feel good, God is always good. God is always good. There are people in here that had school teachers that did you wrong. There are people in here that have had childhoods that, honest to goodness, I would not wish on a soul. There are people, believe it or not today, that are all dressed up and looking fine and beauty, beautiful in their Sunday best, that were abused as children and their lives were absolutely a wreck. But can I tell you right now that their praise has not been predicated on what they've been through, but the fact that they've never walked through anything that God did not walk with them. They have never walked a mile of this journey, but what there was an almighty hand that reached down from heaven and kept them. I know that when some look at you, they would say that's your excuse to quit, but today it's quite the contrary. It is your excuse to keep on going because God is always good. That's why some may predicate their praise on what he's done. But those who understand the power of true worship, they realize it has nothing to do with what God has done and everything to do with who he is. So to understand the nature of the statement that we read today in the fourth chapter in the fourth verse, to rejoice in the Lord. Somebody shout that next word. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. It's tough because the psalmist, he had the same idea and flavor dripping from his tongue when he said, I will bless the Lord at all times. You could say that another way and you wouldn't be taking it out of context. You could say, I'll bless the Lord always. I'll bless the Lord at all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now I came to help somebody in this place today. I don't want you to feel discouraged and I sure don't want to get off on the wrong foot with you. But I want to tell you something today. Your your mouth cannot be continually filled with his praise and speak doubt with the same mouth. I can't with one breath give him praise and in another breath curse him. That's exactly why Job had to get some knowledge and understanding that I came into this world naked. And naked, I'm going to return. What was Job saying? Was he really talking about his nakedness? Was he really talking about not having clothes? No, what Job was saying is everything I've got, I've got because of God's goodness. Everything I have, I have because God has been good to me. So if I lose everything, he has been so good. Job said, I came into this world naked. I'm going to leave naked. Everything I've got, I have because of him. So blessed be the name. Listen, he did not say blessed be the Lord for what he's done. Oh, no, no. He didn't say blessed be the Lord for what I have. He said blessed be the name of the Lord because his name never changes. His goodness never changes. And even when I've lost until it feels like I cannot lose anymore, the devil does not know what to do 
with me when I stand up and I should be discouraged. When I should be turned inside out. When I should have thrown in the towel and quit. But I stand up anyway and say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. The devil don't know what to do with some of you people. He's given you his best shot. You've been neglected. You've been rejected. You have absolutely had your back turned against you. But you're in the house of God on this Sunday morning saying, Blessed. Blessed. You watch how we do. We lose our job, so we withhold our praise. That means your praise was predicated on whether or not you had the job. Well, Pastor, I just don't understand why God couldn't have left things alone. That's why we don't understand the principle of promotion in the kingdom of God. Because we don't ever want to turn loose of good in order to receive great. God's been trying to rip good from some of your hands for a long time. We were praying it this morning. I know some people think it's funny. God, what's he doing reading that prayer? No, you you don't understand. We receive jobs and better jobs. Raises and bonuses. Why, Pastor? Why is that necessary? Because God is always doing something good. It puts it all in perspective that I may have lost my job, but if I did, that's not the end of my story. He's got a better job. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, not talking about, I'm not talking about abusing the goodness of the Lord. Let me be very clear on this Sunday morning. You can't be late every time you're supposed to clock in. Not be dependable when your boss needs you there. Then you get your hide fired because you've been... Late for six weeks straight, and so, well, I guess God has better plans for me. Yeah, his plans are be on time. He's an on-time God. <laughs> oh. Never come home. Your wife finally gets sick of it, and you say, well, God has better plans for me. No, that wasn't his plan. Man, I don't know what God's trying to do in me, Pastor, but I've lost everything. I fully trusted God. And I just told the Lord one day, I'm sick of working. (laughs) I trust you fully, God. I trust you're going to pay my bills. And herein lies a, a, a very serious problem of people of faith. And I'm going to get right down here where you're living, so put your seatbelt on for just about five minutes. The place where it gets contradictory in understanding faith and foolishness is that I cannot expect God to do for me what I can do for myself. But I can't expect to do for God what only God can do for me. If I had a rewind button, I'd rewind it because that's too much to say. I cannot expect the Holy Ghost to do for me what I can do for myself. But I sure cannot expect 
to do for God what only He can do. So there's got to come a moment in my life where I realize I'm not God and He's not me. Oh, let somebody say thank you, Jesus. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't let my true colors come out, but I'm just saying some folk got to be thankful I'm not God. My wife said amen under her breath. It's a tough thing when we put pressure on ourselves. I am by nature, thanks to my mother and my late grandfather, a worrier. There's people that say I got a lot of things from R.B. Bingham. One of the things I got was this tie. There's people that say I got a lot of things from R.B. Bingham, but one of the things I got is when I'm frustrated and worried, I can't sleep. He'd get up and pace the house. And my grandmother could tell you he didn't know how to walk quietly. <clears throat> He'd get up and drive his little old heels into the floor. Man. I spent many a nights in the hotel room. He'd get up, turn the lights on, walk across the room, thunk, 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 thunk. Then he'd walk back over there towards the bed and he'd say, Bud, you awake? <laughs> no. I just look like I am. I'm good. <clears throat> worry, 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 worry. Worry's tough. Of course, I don't guess I'd want a pastor that didn't worry a little bit, you know. But I can tell you this, I have found out that all the restless nights I've had sitting up, twiddling my thumbs, get up trying to read till I get sleepy, it didn't change anything when the sun came up. But I've had a lot of nights where I've been praying, God, please just let the sun come up. I don't care what else happens, I'm just ready for the sun to come up so I can get my britches on and go get a biscuit. Anybody have them nights where you lay in bed and you just think, how am I going to do it? How am I, how, how I going to get this done? And it's like, it's so overwhelming that literally, literally it hurts. I, I feel it in my brain. It's like, what is wrong with me? And I get up and I start walking through the house. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do this, God. I've got this. Lord, you're going to do this. And, I, and all of a sudden, I realize I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to fix it. And that's the very reason why I can't sleep. Because the one who never sleeps and never slumbers is already working for my good. I know this is a lot harder to live than it is to preach, but I've come to tell somebody this morning that's been worried about impossibilities that it may be true that with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. I've come to encourage some weary child of God this morning that's trying to figure out how in the world you're going to come out. And I want to tell you, I don't have a good answer. I don't know how you're going to come out and I don't know when you're going to come out, but I do know that someday you're going to look back over this and it's going to be a testimony of the goodness of God. I don't, I don't want to get sidetracked here today, but 
I can't really go through this without just preaching a few minutes of this to you. And I want, I want this to get down deep in your soul. Because I think sometimes we misunderstand the miracle working power of God. How many of you here today believe he's still a Red Sea splitter? Come on. Boy, I'm thankful the Lord had Moses because if he wouldn't have had Moses, he could have never parted the Red Sea. That's how most of us feel. I'm sure glad God had me to do that. If it wasn't for me, God would have never got that done. Oh, I see them little cockeyed grins down there. So, the children of Israel, they obey, they apply the blood to the doorpost, the lentil. I'm, I'm, I'm going to preach through this in kind of a hurry because I don't want to get stuck in third gear here. But they obeyed God. How many of you would concur with Pastor today that if they applied the blood to the doorpost to the lentil, got full of the lamb, that they had obeyed God? Yeah? Come on, this ain't a trick question. They obeyed God, and God made a way for their exodus. But no sooner than their obedience turned into the first miracle of leaving did they come to the next stop where their back was against the wall. Literally against the wall. Because the Egyptians were pushing hard behind them, and the Red Sea was in front of them. And so some folks say, well, if, if this would have been the will of God, I would have never faced the Red Sea. He brought me out to bring me here. This is promotion. This is how promotion works. I used to hear people preach it when I was a kid. I'd hear old preachers say, for every new level, there's a new devil. Now, I don't necessarily know that it's another devil as much as it is just, if I'm going to grow, i got to go. Man, that was even free. Nobody said Amen. Like, it didn't cost any more to say amen to that than it did when I was screaming. Understand me when I tell you, you will never see Red Seas parted sitting in your blood-covered house. The blood-covered house was the will of God during Passover. It was not the will of God during Exodus. Somebody either say amen or oh me. I'm doing the will of God. You're doing what the will of God was for that season. But now you've become so comfortable in your home. That you've come to a place where now if he don't part the Red Sea you're in trouble. And so now you feel the pressure. And as a leader Moses is standing there saying okay. I look like a dummy. Because I told these people to obey God and come out here. Now, follow me very, very closely here. Don't let me lose anybody right here, okay? We're going Gerber style on this. You, anybody can digest this. this. This is baby food right here. If God would just give me what I need to make it through this thing, I'm going to survive. What did the Lord say to Moses? He said, Moses, take now. The rod that is in your hand. Well, maybe if I'll go back to where I came from. I'll have more resources at my fingertips. 
Moses, what I'm trying to tell you, son, is I can do more with a stick than you could do with all the wealth of Egypt. So go ahead and trust me with what I've already put in your hand. And let me show you, it's not about how good you are, Moses. It's about how good I am. And I didn't bring you out here to leave you. I didn't bring you out here to forsake you. I didn't bring you out here to drop you off. I'm about to work a miracle. But you've got to let me work. And so here comes the faith. Here comes the faith. Powerful moment. Moses steps out there. Like the big dog. The grand poobah. Woo! And here it comes. And everybody's saying, whoa. Big Mo's got it, man. Did you see that? Moses took that rod and held it out over the water. Did you see that? And all the little kids are saying, man, that's Superman. It's amazing. Dry ground. I'm not going to stay here and preach. Dry ground, they walk across. Is there anybody here today that believes if the scripture said they walked through on dry ground, that it was dry ground? Anybody believe that? Because he's a water parting God. When it's time for the waters to be parted. So now let me go ahead and preach to you again. The next time that we see this very same group of people needing water to be parted, It's no longer at the Red Sea. Now it's just a little river called the Jordan. If you've ever seen it, you'd know it's not real super intimidating. Especially compared to the Red Sea. The Jordan River is not a big place to cross. Nevertheless, it was keeping them from walking in their divine destiny. That God had told them 40 years ago, you're going to walk into your destiny and into your promise. And so the Lord says now to the priest... You go first. Put my glory on your shoulders. Walking in obedience. He said, my people are going to follow. They're going to come to the river and I'm going to part the water. Why would they believe that God could part the Jordan River? Because he parted the Red Sea. And so they come to the river. And the Bible says that the priest put their feet in the water. Well, last time, we didn't have to get our feet wet. Last time, we just walked across. How much more of this do I have to put up with, God? He did not say, as soon as you feel the chilly water over your toes, you just stand there and watch me work. He said, you keep on walking until the waters part. Now, it's easy to read that story. Unless you're the one that's carrying hundreds of pounds on your shoulders. And you step off into that water. And you kind of look around the front of the ark at the other priests over there and say, is this supposed to be like this? 
And they just nod and say, well, that's what God said to do. And so with faith, you come together with your three other brothers that are believing with you. And you step off into that water. And about the time it goes up past your ankles, your mind starts thinking, okay, God, are you going to let me sink? Am I going to die here? Are you going to do this? And you don't know what else to do, so you take another step. And all of a sudden, you're reminiscing to the Red Sea, and you think, Lord, uh, we didn't have to go this deep last time. But faith is in your mind and your spirit. Spirit saying, just keep on walking. Just keep on walking. And you're asking, how deep do I have to go before God says enough is enough? How far do I have to walk until the miracle finally happens? All I can tell you is, you're not the one that decides when the water is too deep. I know a God that's aware and mindful of every step you're going to take. He knows when the water's to your ankles. He knows when the... This is a little deeper than I expected. Oh, what am I going to do? And God is measuring the miracle. He's saying, you just keep on walking. You keep on trusting me. Oh, God, don't you understand right now? It's to my knees. I didn't plan on going this deep. I didn't plan on walking this far. I'm waiting just any moment for the waters to part as you take another step and it's water to your loins. I'm not feeling the stability that I felt in the last miracle that he brought me through. Understand that the miraculous has never had anything to do with stability. We love to preach faith. We love to talk about faith. And forgive me if I sound derogatory because I don't mean it to be derogatory at all. But how much of our faith is fake faith? When people say, how you doing? And we start talking our little Pentecostal jive. Oh, we're in revival. What's that mean? More than likely, it means you've been going through hell. <laughs> More than likely, it means you feel like you've been losing a lot. But I love it. Because when the miracle happens... And the waters part. And they cross over the Jordan River. The first thing that they come to is the walled city of Jericho. Joshua looks over and the Bible said that he saw an angel. A biggin. And he asked the angel. He said, are you for us or against us? And the angel said, no. Go read it. You for us or against us? He said, no. That don't make any sense. You didn't answer the question, Angel. We need to know. Are you for us or are you against us? He said, no. I don't understand. Like, hurt me? Let me go. What part of my agenda are you working on here? He said, I'm not. Then, then why are you here? Because I am the captain of the Lord's host. I'm not here to represent you. 
You're trying to figure out whether or not I'm a part of your agenda. Are you for us or against us? No. Because I'm not even going to give you an earthly answer. I'm not for or against anything that's earthly. I'm not a citizen of this world. I represent something that's outside the realm of what you could ever understand, Joshua. So for you to say, are you for me or against me, the only answer I can give you is no. Because I am not here. I am not here to give answers of earthly problems. What I want you to know is I am the captain of the Lord's host. I'm not here to fight with you. I'm here to fight for you. And that's why you're going to have to obey again. Even when you don't understand. And you're going to walk for six days and not say a word. Yeah. If they'd have had Facebook, that whole thing would have been done. About three days in, they've been typing on Facebook. Somebody, I'm not going to say who, but somebody needs to move this wall. Can you imagine people having Twitter walking around Jericho? You got to believe me. I don't think if they'd had social media that walls would have been falling. Because it takes a lot less guts to type about how what you're going through is on Facebook than it does to get down on your face and say, okay, God, here I am. And this one's too big for me. So whatever you need me to do, even if it means be quiet. Kind of like it is right now. Pretty sure I just heard a rat licking ice. It was so quiet. I'm pretty sure. Whatever you want me to do, God, I'm going to do it. I don't understand it. But I'm going to do it. Pastor, what's this have to do with your sermon? I'm so glad you asked. Because Paul is writing this letter to a church at Philippi that he has quite the affinity for. So much so. These people loved Paul so very much at Philippi that actually when they found out that he was locked up in prison, they loved him so much. The word said they sent him help. They sent him money. They were trying to take care of him. They wanted him to be okay. And they were expecting him to respond saying, Oh, if you wouldn't have sent me that $100 bill, I'd be dead by now. You know what he does? He responds and he says, Thank you for your kindness. Now let me talk to you. There's division in the body. You all need to get along with one another. You need to speak the same language. You need to get on the same page. And he busts off in this language that so few of us have read in the context, yet we don't really understand in the narrative because he starts reading, saying things in his letter like, I know what it means to be abased. And I know what it means to abound. He said, I know. Can I break it down a little bit more plain for you? He said, I know what what it's like to feel healed. And I know what it feels like to be broken. I know what it feels like to be loved. And I know what it feels like to be hated. His letter's incredible because he's writing from prison. And he says, you know what? I've been through some things, but I've also learned that in whatsoever state I'm in, 
I have found contentment. Did he find contentment in the state that he was in? That's not what he said. He said, I've learned that whatever state I'm in, it's irrelevant. Because my contentment is not based on the state. See, some of us read that and think he's saying, well, if I'm in a big house, then I can be content with that. If I'm in a little house, I can be content. No, 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 you're, you're, you're missing it. This is, this is borderline prosperity doctrine. This is saying if I can learn to be content in the little house, God will give me a bigger house. That's not the context. He said, I've learned wherever I'm at, whatever I'm going through, I'm content. I'm not content with where I'm at. I'm content because of who's with me. He said, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. I'm not writing to you rejoicing about my prison. I'm writing to you because I'm not in this prison alone. I'm not rejoicing in the prison. I'm rejoicing in the God of my salvation. I'm not rejoicing in the trouble. I'm rejoicing that I'm not in my trouble by myself. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. And this is the only thing that the writer repeats in the Philippian narrative that he writes to them. The only time that he mentions repetition at all. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I repeat to you again, rejoice. Why? Why do you feel the necessity to repeat to us over and over to rejoice? Why, Paul? Was once not enough for you to just say rejoice in the Lord always? Oh, we get it, we get it, we get it. He said, and again, because some things are worth reiterating. Some things are worth saying again. You are rejoicing in the Lord I'm writing to you from prison, but understand me when I tell you, Philippian church, you're going to have some trouble come your way. So you need to learn to get along, and you need to learn to have a spirit of unity. But above everything else, you need to learn to rejoice. There are some dark days that are coming your direction. There's some controversy as to when exactly Philippians was written. The first time that Paul had revival uh, with the Philippian church where he established the actual church was probably somewhere around 53 A.D. So we're 17 years away from all hell breaking loose in Jerusalem. When the Romans come in and they destroy everything that these people know about normal life. And he tells the church at Philippi It's almost like it's prophetic. If you'll start rejoicing right now, and you'll get used to rejoicing while you're in a little bit of trouble, a little bit of church trouble, a little discontent, a little little fussing, a little feuding back and forth, just work on your rejoicing. Because when you come to a river that you don't think you can cross, if you'll just remember that I said rejoice, and again I said rejoice, let it go over and over in your mind that whatever it is you're facing, it's not so big that I can't get through it if I just rejoice in the Lord. The trouble is not so big, and the mountain is not so high. Listen, people don't know what to do with people when the only thing they can say is, God has been good to me.
It's in your Bible. Your Bible is replete with it. From cover to cover, it's in your Bible. In the book of Genesis, Abraham is walking with his promise towards a sacrificial altar that God had promised him, I'm going to give you that boy. And he comes to the base of the mountain and he turns to his servants, Brother Wendell, and he says, you stay here. Me and the boy, we're going to worship. Worship. You're fixing to lose everything that God promised you. Why would you even say I'm going to worship when you're going to sacrifice? Because it's never been about the promise. It's about knowing the promise keeper. Your New Testament says that Abram believed so much in the promises of God that even if God had to resurrect Isaac to fulfill his word, he said, I would gladly lay my boy down and call it worship and know that God is a healer and God is a resurrector than I would to walk away from what he's asked me to do. That's why Paul said, rejoice in the Lord. And I've got to believe that somehow this, this letter got to the eyes of John. And John started reading, rejoice. And, and again, I say, well, rejoice, rejoice. And then when he's sitting on Patmos and he's been boiled in oil and he's by himself and he's isolated and he's laying out in the sun all of a sudden he starts hearing rejoice and again I say rejoice and John said in the midst of all of my trouble in the midst of all of my pain I was in the spirit the Lord's day what do you mean the Lord's day this is trouble. This is chaos. Oh, but you don't see what I see. If God takes away this Patmos, then I don't have my revelation. If God takes away this trouble, then I don't see the revelation. You hear this preacher when I tell you this morning, it's not over and God is not finished with you. It's time for you to rejoice and know that God had this thing when we walked into it and God's got it when it's over. I'm hurrying up. I'm closing. But I want to say something to you right now that I think is funny. If you're a human being and you've talked with people outside of your house, you're going to hear something about COVID. I've been from the East Coast to the West Coast this year. And people are sick of it. They're fed up with it. Everybody's ready for it to be gone. And so we talk about all this. And this is the funniest line that you hear often. Come November, this will all be gone. So we place our hope in things that are yet remain to be seen. Come November, this will all be gone. So here's my question. What if it's not? What if the person you don't like is the one that gets elected? What if we've only seen the tip of the iceberg? What if you think that a little pansy mandate from governors that said, don't gather because we don't want you getting sick. What if that becomes 
a law that's enacted that says we're seizing all church properties because we don't want non-taxable entities under religious names. Oh, pastor. What are you going to do? Nobody said it's happening. I'm just asking, what are you going to do if it does? Because I'm trying to figure out the answer in my heart right now. When I look at people who are going to be apocalyptic heroes and talking about they're not going to take no mark. And if they hold a gun to my head, let them do it. And ain't nobody held a gun to your head and stay home from church. (laughs) You were dismissed. When this thing goes away, I'm going to start going to church every time the doors are open. I highly doubt it. Rejoice in the Lord unless there's a pandemic. I know some people have looked at us and said, are they crazy? Are they crazy? What's wrong with these crazy people dragging their family around the country trying to have revival in a pandemic? When you don't know what else to do, you just trust God. Do you know why Daniel prayed three times a day when they told him not to? Because he was praying three times a day before they said anything. The habits that you create while you can will determine the habits you have when they say you can't. And if we honestly buy into the idea that his goodness only deserves a Sunday morning, I wonder what's going to happen. See, I bet you all wish I'd have stopped 10 minutes ago. What are we going to do come November? It's going to be different. What if it's not? Well, as soon as they get that vaccine, I'll just take the vaccine. It'll all be better. What if you don't want that vaccine? What if you find out it's something you don't want? I mean, what, what then? All these people talking about their eschatology, man, they all know. It's crazy. Brother Stephen said it this morning. All these people fussing and fighting about, well, I don't know what that vaccine is. It's a mark of the beast. It's got that digital nanotechnology in it. Well, it may. It may not. So come November... You don't have to keep doing what you know to do and be faithful to God. And this is the way I feel about it. We're going to have to get the same answer that the angel had. Are you for us or against us? No. No. You, are, are, you, are, you for, are you for people opening up? And, are you, yes or no? My answer to you is I'm not living for November I'm living for when the real king is exposed he is the king of kings he is the lord of lords he is the everlasting father you know what else he is he is still the prince of peace you can relax and know that God's got this thing I'm going to go ahead and rejoice in the Lord always Let's stand together. 
Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I guess I'll go eat worms. Whoever wrote that's disgusting. Because I don't care who hates me, I'm not eating worms. And I don't want some country dude saying right now, oh, they're good with chocolate on them. <laughs> you ain't never had nothing good. Look, I'm going to preach as simple to you as I've ever preached. I'm walking, I'm walking in preschool preaching with you this morning. This sermon right here will work in any kindergarten Sunday school class in America. So let me just break it down for you. Here's the truth. Everybody ready? Take a big deep breath because I'm, I'm going to astound you with my wisdom right now. If you want to serve God, you will. If that thing wasn't $650, I'd drop it. Look, if you want to be down all the time, you can. If you want to walk around depressed all the time, you can do it. You can find every excuse. But Paul was writing from a Roman prison cell. And his only response to them was get together as a body of Christ and rejoice and let me say again, rejoice. I've heard it all my life. Won't we have a time when we get over yonder? And the only thing I really know to say is some of us will. Because if you can't have a time right now, Does anybody love to just remind the devil that during a pandemic and during chaos and political uprising and hatred in the earth, the waters of baptism are still being troubled. Families are still coming to God. He can't stop the church. He can't stop the mission. He cannot stop you if you'll fall in love with Jesus and nothing else matters. We'll start rejoicing when it don't feel good. We're going to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. If there's anybody here today that can identify with what pastor's preaching, Matter of fact, let's just be transparent. If you've been going through a difficult season, let me see your hand. Okay. Here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to step out by faith. I want you to raise your hands and surrender to God. I want you to say, Lord, I'm not here today to tell you how big my trouble is. I've stepped out by faith today to tell my trouble how big you are I'm not here today God to tell you how big my mountain is but I'm stepping out by faith right now to tell my mountain how big my God is 
Lord, I've come to rejoice in the God of my salvation. And I know that no matter where I am today, Lord, you're walking with me. You know exactly where I am. You have never forgotten me. You have never forsaken me. I want you to begin to give him praise this morning. Lord, the fire may be hot, but you're forming my character. The mountain may be high, but you're making me a man of God. You're making me a woman of God.